The springboard for what I want to talk about today comes from the Christmas story where the angels announce to the shepherds the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem and where they say, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace amongst men on whom his favor rests. We love the Christmas story. Every year we revisit it. But whatever happened to the peace on earth part? Was it just an idle, sentimental hope? A dream, wishful thinking, escapism, unrealistic? Nice to pretend it might be so, but the realism is very different. At the time of the birth of Jesus, Rome ruled with an iron fist. If you conformed, you were okay. If you challenged it, you were put down. In their own country, the Jews were second-class citizens to the Romans who had priority and preference and everything. And amongst the Jewish structure of their culture, shepherds lay right at the bottom of that. And so to these shepherds, this message that on earth peace amongst men on whom his favor dwells must have come as a, a wonderful hope for them. But 2,000 years later, we still live in a violent world. The Society of International Law in London states that during the 3,600 years of recorded history, there have been 14,351 documented wars, large and small, in which approximately, they have worked out, 3.64 billion people have been killed. The world population recently passed the 7 billion mark. Now, more than half of the number of people alive in the world today was the number that had been killed in wars during that period of recorded history. In the last three centuries alone, they say the Society of International Law says that there have been 286 wars fought on the continent of Europe alone. And today, this Christmas... According to the globalsecurity.org website, there are 42 wars currently going on in the world, including cross-border wars between nations, civil wars within nations, guerrilla warfare, which doesn't have any boundary to it. But right now, as I speak to you, 42 wars apparently are taking place in our world. It's not because we're not interested in peace. People are. It's not because we don't talk about peace. People do. It's not because we don't have philosophies of peace or hopes of peace, because we do. The former United States President George W. Bush said at the start of the Iraq war, I quote, the march of democracy will lead to world peace. He was saying democracy will bring peace. And it is said that no two democracies have ever yet gone to war with each other. So that's one theory for peace. Leon Trotsky, who was an early Russian Marxist and the first leader of the Red Army, said that a world communist revolution would lead to world peace. 
And after a 70-year experiment, that hope died a dismal death in the 1980s when communism, by and large, imploded on itself, leaving behind a legacy of many people having been killed for standing against the state. Some look to globalization as being a means of peace. That is, unifying nations into multi-state unions, a bit like the European Union, which is very cracked at the moment. And the idea is that further global alliances will bring about a unified world order. And so those working for that end. There are others who say that disarmament will bring peace because there'll be no weapons to fight with. There are others who say that armament will bring peace on the grounds your weapons are so evil and so capable of such mass destruction, nobody is going to use them. And so with strength, you stop conflict. That's another theory. How is the birth of Jesus Christ relevant to the message Peace on earth. What is this peace? Jesus spoke about this issue later in his own life of ministry in John chapter 14 and verse 27. He said this, speaking to his disciples, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Let not your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Now notice he sets up a contrast there. He talks about my peace I leave with you. And he says what that is not like is it is not like the peace that the world gives. So what is the difference? Well, the peace that the world gives is... External, that is, it's about conflict between peoples, it's about solving the issues that divide us and so on. But the peace Jesus said, I will give you, is internal. He says, do not let your heart be troubled. It's not about the structures of society initially, it's about the human heart. Because the diagnosis of the Bible is that the biggest problem we have in our world today is not out there, it's in here, it's in the human heart. James says in James chapter 4 and verse 1, he asks a question, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Well, what's the answer to that question? He gives an answer, but what causes fights and quarrels among you? Here's his answer, don't they come from your desires, the battle within you? Where do these fights and quarrels come from? They come from within you, he says. Because there's something broken in you, said Jesus. Let me illustrate this. Some years ago, I was speaking in a high school to a class of students who were, I think, if I remember, it was about 8th grade or ninth grade, something like that. And I took into the classroom a newspaper and I began by holding up this paper and reading off some of the headlines and some of them of that day's newspapers were about conflicts in different parts of the world. There was about fighting, there was about uh, terrorism, there was about stealing, there was about a well-known divorce that was taking place. 
And I read a lot of these headlines. I said to these kids, now, you didn't create this world, you're just kids still. 14, 15, whatever it was. Do you like the world that your parents and before them, grandparents, and before them, the previous generations, do you like the world that the previous generations have created for you? And after some chit-chat back and forth, the general answer was no. We don't like it. I said, okay, let's talk about what's wrong with the world. I'd like you to tell me in a moment what you think is wrong with the world, and different ones, you can just shut out certain things, and I'm going to write them on the chalkboard with a piece of chalk, and we'll talk about them, and uh, they start off, somebody said teachers, and somebody else said cops, so let's get rid of all that, no, we're not talking about teachers or cops, what's wrong with teachers anyway, if they're they're the problem, (laughs) and so eventually they started to give some sensible ideas, and somebody said people are greedy, so what do you mean by that? Well, you know, they, they want what other people have got and they don't mind trampling on people to get it. I said, okay, that's a good one. So I write down the word greedy. Somebody said, people are proud. What do you mean? Well, they think they're better than anybody else and they look down on people and they kind of just push themselves up. Okay, that's a good one. Proud, pride. Somebody said, uh, people are jealous. What do you mean? Well, they don't have what somebody else has got so they think they want to get it, and so they destroy it for that person, and it's all on jealousy, okay, good one, write down the word jealous, somebody else, some people are selfish, what do you mean, well it's all about me, me, and what I want, and they just live lives for themselves, so write down the word selfish, and so he went on, I've forgotten the order in which they came, and I've forgotten how many there were, there was quite a few things they, they put on the board, and I said, okay, so these are the things that you say are wrong with the world, people are greedy, they're proud, they're jealous, they're selfish, do you all agree these are the things that are wrong with the world, and They said yes. I said, okay. Just supposing after school today, instead of going home, you got the whole school together into the main assembly hall, you locked the back doors, somebody got up and said, hey, our world is in a mess. People are proud, people are greedy, people are selfish, people get jealous. Let's see if we can work out how to put the world right. And supposing your school stayed there all night, do you think by tomorrow morning you might discover that there are one or two people in your school who are proud? There's some who are greedy, some who are selfish, some who get jealous. Do you think you'd find this in your school? And they said yes and began to give me names. <laughs> I said, okay, don't give me the names. But do you know what you just said? You just said, what's wrong with the world is wrong with your school. So supposing you didn't do that, supposing you went home and you got your family together, you know, your mum, your dad, your brothers, your sisters, if you got them, your granny, and you kind of shut the door and said, hey, the world's in a mess and our school's in the same mess, people are proud and selfish and greedy and jealous, let's see if we can work out how to put the world right. And supposing your family stayed up all night, do you think by tomorrow morning you might discover that in your family somebody's a bit selfish, a bit greedy, proud, they get jealous? And somebody said, yeah, my sister... I said, okay, leave your sister out of this. (laughs) Somebody said, my granny. I said, leave granny out of this too. Do you think that would be in your family? They said, yeah. So what have you just told me? What's wrong with the world? Is what's wrong with your school? What's wrong with your school? What's wrong with your family? So suppose you didn't do that. Supposing on the way home tonight, you climbed a tree and sat up the tree all night. You said to yourself, the world's in a mess. My school's in the same mess. My family's in the same mess. They're proud, selfish, greedy, jealous. And you decided to sit up that tree all night 
and work out how to put the world right. Do you think by tomorrow morning you might realize that you are a little bit selfish? Sometimes you've been known to be greedy, a little bit proud, occasionally jealous. Do you think that would be true? There was silence. <laughs> so I pointed to a boy who had been quite vocal earlier, and I said, what about you? He said, me? I said, yeah, you. He said, I don't know. And everybody else said, yeah, you, that's for sure. I said, everybody else quiet. What do you mean I don't know? You know. Are you ever selfish, greedy, jealous, proud? He said, maybe. I said, maybe it's not enough. I want a yes or a no. He said, perhaps. <laughs> so you're getting warmer. Yes or no. Are you proud, selfish, greedy, jealous, and all the rest of it? And he said, yes. I said, thank you. What about you? Yes. What about you? Yes. What about you? Yes. What about you? Yes. I said, you want you kids to say? You're saying, what's wrong with the world? <laughs> it's me. Because what you said were the problems with the world are your problems. So how do you put the world right? You find out how to put yourself right. And that, of course, is exactly what the message of the Bible is about. When James says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires of battle within you? He wasn't saying that to humiliate and condemn people and rub their nose in their own dirt. No, he said, that is the diagnosis. If you understand it, you can begin to look for a solution to it. If you don't understand the diagnosis, and you think it's all them out there, it's all the politicians up there somewhere. Because the biggest problem you'll ever face in your life and the biggest problem I'll ever face in my life is me. So when Jesus contrasted the peace of the world, structures, organization, peace treaties, armies, whatever else might be used to bring about peace, he said, I'm not talking to you about that. It's not as the world gives that I'm giving to you. Do not let your heart be troubled. He says, my peace I'm giving to you. Don't let your heart be troubled. In fact, when he spoke about this again in John chapter 16 and verse 33, what he said to his disciples there was this. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. So he sets up another contrast there. And there he says, in the world, here's what to expect. Trouble. History tells us that's true. The newspapers every day tell us that's true. The news we watch on television tells us that's true. But he says, in this world you'll have trouble, but in me, you're going to have peace. The what I am going to bring to you, said Jesus, amongst other things, is a peace in the area of your life that you most desperately need it, which is a peace within your own heart. Don't let your heart be troubled. Now, the two kinds of peace that the birth of Jesus brings about, that is the hope of Christmas, 
that are talked about in the New Testament. There is, first of all, what we call peace with God. We've come to a position where we're at peace with God. I'll explain that briefly in just a moment. And then there is what the New Testament calls the peace of God, which guards and protects our inner world, our hearts. Let me talk about peace with God. There's a verse in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 where it says this, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That presupposes something which is explained earlier in that book of Romans, and that is that we are not at peace with God, that by nature we are alienated from God. We were created by God for relationship with him, for fellowship with him, but that relationship has been broken. And because that relationship has been broken, you and I live in the dark as to who we really are and why we really exist. Every thinking person asks the question, who am I? Why am I here? What is my purpose? Are we just a lonely mass of atoms that come together through some fluke that give us something called life and self-consciousness? So we know we exist, but we don't know why we exist, and it's a temporary thing anyway. We're here today, and in a few years we'll be gone. I was listening to a television program, or watching a television program, about the complexities of life. And it took both a telescopic view, looking at the universe, and a microscopic view, looking at the intricacies of uh, our own lives. And uh, in the telescopic view of life and of the universe, they actually said, I quote this down there, as many known galaxies in the universe as individual stars you can see in the night sky. Well, actually, it's many more than you can see. You can only see, I think it's about 5,000 stars in the night sky, visible to the naked eye from Earth. But there are something like 100 billion galaxies that they know of, and of course there are the, the extremities of space that we don't yet know anything about. You may have read that uh, NASA has found Earth's twin planet, they call it, through the Kepler telescope, which is orbiting and uh, is sending back amazing pictures of a certain part of the universe, or actually it's still the Milky Way. And I quote you from the newspaper. It said, a planet more like Earth than any other that has been yet discovered has been identified as a potential future home for mankind. So there you are, if you want to know where to go for your holiday. <laughs> Kepler 22b, named after the telescope Kepler, Kepler 22b contains both land and water and an average temperature of 22 degrees centigrade. It's getting even more interesting, isn't it? It contains the right atmosphere to support life, its year, its orbit around its sun lasts 290 days. That's about 10 months, is it? Something like that. So not too far off from, from ours. However, it is 600 light years from the Earth. Light travels 200,000 miles per second, remember? Seven and a half times around the world every second. Using our present highest speeds of space travel, it would take us 22 
million years to get there. <laughs> so you won't be going for your summer vacation. <laughs> and if anybody ever sets off, it'll be their great 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 grandkids who may arrive, they don't run out of food on the journey. So this is an impossible distance, but it makes you feel very small, doesn't it? The vastness of our universe. And then this program took a microscopic view and talked about the human body, that we ourselves are made up of trillions of drifting atoms, it described them as, that assemble to make you you and cooperate to keep you intact for a few decades. But then after a while, they begin to close you down and these atoms begin to drift apart and silently dissemble and go off to become other things. Because every atom that makes you you will go on existing many years after you cease to exist. They simply become something else. And here's the interesting thing they said in this program. The remarkable thing is that none of these atoms are alive. None of these atoms think. None of these atoms feel. But when they come together, they make you, you. And there is, of course, this mystery that we call life that as yet, scientifically, cannot be reduced to any kind of formula or explanation. What the scripture tells us is this. As far as human beings was concerned, God breathed his spirit and we became living beings. But the story of the Bible is a story of creation, which was good. Then the fall, where human beings acted in independence of God and became separated from God and all the corruption that flowed out of that. So there's creation, the fall, redemption, when God sent his son into the world in order to make it possible to restore human beings to a relationship with God, leading to a culmination when we are forever in the presence of God. That's the good side of that story. And this alienation from God is the biggest need of the human heart. That's why we cannot detach the birth of Jesus from the death of Jesus. Be very careful of just having a Christmas box over here and then forgetting about all. That's about a baby and a manger and all the rest of it and wise men and shepherds and all the rest of that. And then you've got another story over here about a cross and a resurrection. But don't separate those two things, will you? Because the birth of Jesus Christ only makes sense when we understand the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, what these angels said was this. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. And he is Christ the Lord. And it was after that that they said, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. He says, what's been born is a savior. What the world needs, you see, is a savior. What the world did not need was an advisor. 
If you simply see Jesus as a great teacher giving us some great moral, ethical information, that won't help you. Lord has enough advice and we're still in the mess. The world does not need a philosopher to bring some new ideas and new understanding. We've exhausted our minds and still sit in the darkness of our own wisdom. The world didn't need a reformer to come and change society for us. We've tried that. We have revolutions and changes and fads that come and go all through history. The world didn't need an orator to come and motivate us and compel us. What the world needed is a savior. What you need is not good advice. You actually need saving. Because our separation from God means not only do we not know who we are and why we're here, but it means that our lives will forever perish in separation from God. But the great news of Christmas to you is born a Savior. It's good news of great joy, he says. And the result is peace on earth because he came to reconcile men and women to God. And that's why the cross of Jesus Christ is the center of the Christian message. Because it's the cross of Jesus Christ where he addressed and satisfied the justice of God. We are under the justice of God and the judgment of God by nature. He who knew no sin, who had no sin of his own, because though he was God and man, he lived as a man a perfect life, was able to offer himself as a substitute for you and for me. He who knew no sin, the Bible says, was made to be sin for us. All that I am was heaped upon him so that all that he is in his beauty might be heaped upon me and we will be declared righteous. In fact, the word used in that verse I read to you is the word justified, Romans 5 verse 1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Where does this peace with God come from? By being justified. Justified is a legal term. It has to do with justice. It means that justice has been satisfied. It means that all that we by nature deserve has been addressed and satisfied in somebody else, in a substitute, Christ as substitute, so that we might be declared clean. And righteous. Let me give you an illustration of justification. There was a man in England who took his Rolls Royce to the continent of Europe for a holiday. And while he was driving around Europe, he developed a problem with his engine in his Rolls Royce. Now, as you probably know, Rolls Royce is a very proud company. And uh, he called Rolls-Royce at their headquarters back in Derby in England. And he said, I'm having trouble with my car. What do you suggest I do? Well, the Rolls-Royce people flew a mechanic over to Europe. 
to fix it for him. And uh, he fixed it and flew back to England and the man went on his, uh, continued with his holiday. But all the time he was left wondering, what in the world is that going to cost me? <laughs> I mean, flying a mechanic out and putting him up and what's it going to cost? And when he got back to England, he wrote Rolls-Royce a letter asking how much he owed them. And he received a reply that said this, Dear Sir, there is no record anywhere in our files that anything ever went wrong with a Rolls Royce. <laughs> That's what it means to be justified. In your file, when we come to Christ and recognize our separation from God, and that Christ on the cross paid for our sin and we confess and are forgiven, we're then brought into relationship with him and that peace with God, meaning there's no animosity between us and God, there's no conflict between you and God anymore, that peace is met. Why? Because we are justified. It means in the record books of heaven, there's no record anywhere in our files that anything ever went wrong with you. Clean. Because Christ, in his record book, everything went wrong. He was made sin, that we won't be made the opposite righteousness. Colossians 1 verse 20 in the New Testament says, He made peace through his blood shed on the cross. That's the starting point of peace. Let me ask you, have you been reconciled to God? And do you know that you have been? Because the peace on earth begins when you and I as individuals recognize our need to be reconciled to God and we acknowledge that Christ paid our debt and we simply say thank you to him. We confess our need to him and we're forgiven and indwelt by the Holy Spirit because the reconciliation to God is not just that we're on speaking terms with him, but that his spirit is restored into human experience. Because it was the spirit of God that was lost in the fall. And now the spirit of God comes to make his dwelling place in our lives, in our bodies. But being at peace with God leads to experiencing the peace of God. And there are two things the New Testament says about this, just very quickly. In Colossians 3 and verse 15, it says, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Whatever this peace of God is, he says, let it rule in your hearts. This peace comes from the security, not only knowing God, but being able to trust God. That no matter what is going on, that you can trust him. Yes, there's lots going on that's evil. We heard that song, he's got the whole world in his hands. And yes, there's lots that's gone in the world that's evil, but you can trust him. That he's at work in your own situation. One commentator has written about this verse. The presence of the peace of Christ is the decisive proof that the heart is right with God. 
Because peace with God must lead to the peace of God by the fact that now we're being restored to a relationship with him. We can trust him no matter what is going on. And I know there are horrendous things going on. And some of us may not believe some of the things that are going on in this building and the lives of people here. I've already talked to people this morning. One whose son has just committed suicide. One who has a disease that has no cure to it. One who is estranged from family they haven't seen for years and every Christmas. The pain is intense. They were sitting here a couple of hours ago. And those are just ones that I talk to. There'll be much pain here. But at the same time, there is the possibility of coming and saying, Lord, I place this on your shoulders. Because Jesus invited us to come to him, take his yoke upon us. A yoke is what you do with a couple of oxen. You put it around the shoulders. And you can put a strong oxen with a weak oxen. And you adjust the yoke in such a way that the strong oxen doesn't pull and cause it to go around in circles. But the weight is so distributed that the strong oxen takes the bulk of it. He says, take my yoke upon you. That is together in harmony with Jesus. He says, find rest for your souls. Doesn't mean these things don't matter. But he talks about the peace of God ruling in your hearts. In the inner world. And the second verse is in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. Where he says, do not be anxious about anything. It sounds a little bit unrealistic, doesn't it? But in everything, that is the things that would make you anxious. By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. That is, give it all to God. And listen to this. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The things that make you anxious. Instead, he says, give them to God. Genuinely give them to God. And you'll discover this. There's a peace of God which passes understanding. is not logical. It's not rational, but it will guard your heart and guard your mind. Notice the two things those two verses say about the heart. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. That's the inner part of you, who you are. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. And then in Philippians 4, it says, the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind. It will protect you. Peace is not the absence of trouble. You can have peace in the midst of trouble, like a bird in a nest, in the tree, with its eyes closed as a gale sweeps around it. It's at peace. You and I can know that kind of peace because the message of the birth of Jesus, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace amongst men on whom his favor dwells is a consequence of that today in the town of David a savior has been born and he's Christ the Lord you can trust him you can live in such relationship with him that you can be brought to peace with God and experience the peace of God guarding and protecting your hearts whatever's going on in this 
world around us, the swirling chaos that is going on around us in so many places. They can be in the middle of the storm, peace with God, and experience the peace of God. Now, many of you know that. You've experienced that. You do experience that. You could tell us stories of how that has been a very real thing in your life. There are others of us here, and you've never known that. And you've never known this peace with God. And you don't know the peace of God protecting and guarding your heart, though you live in a world that is full of turmoil, and circumstances may be full of turmoil. But you can come into that relationship with God through Christ. You can acknowledge to him your need of him. Acknowledging that you are separated from him. And that Christ came to build the bridge between us and God. And through his death as our substitute, he's made it possible for us to be reconciled. And declared justified. Clean. No longer any record of anything wrong. And with his spirit in our hearts, experiencing the peace of God day by day. In a moment, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray as though I was asking Christ to come into my life. And I'm going to do this so that some of you can pray this with me. There are no special words, but it may help you. And I'm going to ask you to pray with me these words and just acknowledge your need and your willingness to give your life to Christ so that he will give his life to you. And you begin to live in relationship with him. And in a moment when I pray, I'll pray sentence by sentence and you can just follow me quietly in your own mind. And then Christmas will really be Christmas. This is what it's actually about. Being reconciled to God. Let's pray. And if you sense that pulling of the Holy Spirit in your heart and your need to know him, would you pray this with me? Dear God, I thank you that you created me. I thank you that you love me. But I acknowledge that I am separated from you. But that you sent Jesus Christ to make it possible to be reconciled to you. I thank you that he died in my place. That he was raised again from the dead, is alive today. And can come and live within me. Please come into my life. I confess my sin and need of cleansing. Forgive me. And come by your Holy Spirit to live your life in me. Thank you for the new appetites I can expect from this. The new desires, the new direction that the Holy Spirit will give me. Thank you for hearing my prayer.
Thank you for coming into my life. In Jesus' name, amen.